0: Hey, it is good to, to, I was going to say it's good to see you, but it's, it's, hopefully you can see me, and um, I'm excited that we could be together, even if it's online, that we can get together, and um, we're going to be continuing through the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter two, and we're going to be looking at the the last um, 11 or 12 verses, chapter two, verses 11 through 22, so if you would, let's pray together, and we get started, God, we just thank you, for this chance to get into your word. And we pray that the next few minutes we would truly hear what you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. As kids, a lot of us probably remember those building blocks. Remember those blocks that had letters and numbers on them and you would, we, could, we could build things with them. And I remember as a kid trying to build walls with those blocks and try to see how high I could get it. But I also remember that I had a younger sister who was two years younger who wouldn't let my wall get too big before it would be torn down. And today for a few minutes, I want us to talk about what those walls are in our life and some of those walls that we have that divide us from God and some of those walls that have us that, that divide us from each other and to try to see how we can work on tearing some of those walls down to help us with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So we're going to read. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter two, starting with, starting with verse 11. Let's read this together. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in his spirit. So when we read that, you may read that and you may think, I don't really know exactly what's going on. And I wanna, what I want to do is I want to get a picture of, to try to help us understand a little bit about what he's talking about when he talks about these walls that divide. And he's talking about the walls that divide the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Greeks, and the Jews. So here we have a picture of what a, a temple okay and, and to make things simple sometimes there's different names for what they are we're gonna call this the outer court anything outside of here is the outer court the inner court is right inside here and in, in, in here and then the Holy of Holies is this tall part right here in the middle of it so we've got the outer court the outer court is where the Gentiles would meet and gather this is where Jesus came in one time and he turned over the tables and he and he threw the tables over because he was upset about the way they were they were making a mockery of the temple. And this is where Jesus had, had done that. He he'd come out here and he he saw what was going on and what they were doing and he and he came in and he flipped the tables over. And so we got the outer court. That's where the gentiles could be. That's as far as the gentiles could go. If you weren't a Jew, you couldn't come any further. The Jews and mainly the Jewish men at this time. And so we'll, you'll see later how the Bible talks about the fact that there's no more um, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. Because God says that in God's eyes, we're all one. But in here, the, this is where the Jewish people would gather. So the Gentiles had to stay out here. Jewish people could come into here. And then you have the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies is where the, the priest once a year would go in and could go into the presence of God there was a wall but it was basically a curtain that was put up in between the Holy of Holies and the inner court so that only the priest could go into the presence of God so when you read these verses and it talks about the fact that tearing down the walls he's literally talking about tearing down these walls that separate the Gentiles from the Jews so that the Jews and the Gentiles could be together and what's interesting is Paul is writing this, and Paul is writing this more than likely. He's writing this from prison. And as he's writing this. We sit there and go, why was Paul in prison? Because Paul is writing in all these books. He wrote almost half the New Testament. And as he's writing this, he's writing against everything that the Jewish people believed. And he writes about the fact that there's no more wall here separating the Gentiles from the Jews. And the Jews didn't want to hear this because this was kind of their keepsake. This was theirs. They could hold on to this and say, we have this, the Gentiles don't have this. So when Paul comes in and he says, t- basically talking about tearing down the walls, not only the walls, the physical walls that separated the Gentiles from the Jews, but also the walls of the ceremonies, the rituals, the circumcision, that they said this was how you 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 had to get close to God. And, and just the, the dietary laws and all that, we, we look at that and we say, this is, this is what Paul is writing about. So the Jewish people aren't crazy about what Paul's saying. So they come up here and, and Acts 21, 27 to 29. Listen to what it says here. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everything, teaches everyone everywhere against our people. In our law, in this place, this place. Remember, they're in the temple. And so they're saying, hey, this man is coming up and he's teaching everything against what we believe about this. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. In verse 29, they had previously seen Trephiphamus, the Ephesian, in the, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him to the temple. So they're saying, this guy brought a Gentile, a non-Jew, and brought him into the inner court, which was against the Jewish law. We don't know if that happened, but that's what they accuse him of. So we look and say, why is Paul in prison? Because Paul is preaching something that goes totally against what the Jews, the Jews believed. So that is just to give us a picture of what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2, when we think about the whole idea of, of breaking down the walls. That God wants us to, to break down the walls to separate the Jews from the Gentiles, that they can, they can all become one through Christ. So we want to look at just three things here briefly this morning. First one is that God wants to reconcile us with him, himself. God wants us reconciled with him. He wants to, he wants to, to bring a relationship back together. Reconciliation is a removal of enmity, a, a deep-seated dislike. And the restoration of fellowship between two parties. So it goes from hostility to friendship. So there's a wall between us and God. And as we talk about in the, in the, the temple, when we, we look at that again, remember the, the wall here? There's a curtain here that separated even the Jews who could come into the inner court couldn't go into the presence of God. But it was interesting, as you look at Matthew 27:50 50 and 51, remember this giant curtain that's separating the Jews from God. It says, and when Jesus is on the cross, and just as he's dying, it says, and when Jesus had cried out, and again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. From top to bottom, that curtain that separated us from God was torn in two. Because Jesus' death on the cross made it to where we have direct access to God now. So we don't have to go through a priest and have a priest. We can even, we can say, okay, I can get into the inner court, but I couldn't get into the presence of God. Christ on the cross took that and he tore that, that curtain down. So there's no longer a curtain between us and God. And the, the Christ made it to where we, ha- we can have direct access to God. And we don't have to follow those rules and those laws that the Jews had set up. And Romans 10, 12, and 13 says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been, clothed yourself with Christ there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So when he's writing this, he's not saying you are no longer male, you are no longer female. You are no longer at that time a slave or, or, or free, you're no longer a Jew or Gentile. He's saying that in God's eyes, we all have the same access to God. So that's, that's when we think about being reconciled to God, that God wants us reconciled to himself. He wants that enmity, that, that, that hatred that we had toward God. He wants that torn down, that we can have direct access now to God. And the second thing is, God wants us to be reconciled with each other. He wants us to be able to be reconciled with each other. And if, wherever you're, you're sitting today, you, you can be sitting there. And, and, and if I say this, there might be a person even in the room with you that this may relate to. Who is somebody that you have a hard time forgiving? Who is somebody that you say, when I say, you know what, God has called us to forgive. You say, okay, that's not that's not too hard to think about. But then all of a sudden, you think of that one person and you say, okay, that's a little more difficult. And again, if they're sitting next to you, don't punch them. Don't, you know, don't try to kick them, stuff like that. Just I just want you to think through, what is it that God has called us to? Because he wants us to be reconciled with each other. And when I think of this, as far as on the human relationship, the story that comes to my mind is my parents. I was in second grade, and my father left our family. He walked out, and he he ended up just kind of doing his own thing for quite a while. And it was a struggle. I remember as a kid, when I was young, trying to figure it out. And I remember going, and my father would show up at a baseball game. And I would just kind of drop the bat. I was getting ready to hit, and i just drop, drop the bat and run over and, and wanted to hug my father. And then I got to where I was, he was less and less in my life until I got into high school. And it was, a bitterness started to take over. And it started to eat at me. And this is what I want us to kind of think about is forgiveness. When we, when we sit there and say, I'm not willing to forgive someone, a lot of times we think, boy, I'm, I'm holding this on, on that person. And that person is suffering because I'm not willing to forgive them. Most times, if we're honest, that bitterness and that anger and that unforgiveness is hurting us more than it's hurting that person. But yet, we don't want to admit that. Well, my folks ended up being divorced, and it went 27 years until they got divorced in about 1970. In about 1997, I remember my mother sitting down with my sister and I, and she asked the question, what do you think about your dad and I getting back together? That was the last thing in my mind. It, that totally, it, it came out of left field for me. I wasn't ready to hear that at all. And and I was just like, what are you talking about? And my mother and father were talking about getting back together and getting remarried. Well, let me tell you, there was a lot of forgiveness that had to happen in that. There was a lot of reconciliation that had to take place for that to, for that to come to, together. And so the great thing about this is that they ended up getting remarried. And I was able to do the wedding. I was able to perform the ceremony to marry my mother and my father. So you can picture that. We're up here. And I said, do you, mom, take you, dad, to be your lady? And, and going through that, and it was just kind of weird. But I, I also got a chance to tell them that I think that, you know what, looking at you guys, I think that you're going to have some great kids. I think that your kids are going to turn out to be incredible. And so it was kind of kind of cool to be part of that. And and But the idea of reconciliation, that God wants to reconcile us to each other, that's the story I think of. That It took years for that to happen. It didn't happen overnight. And, it, and when, it, when it did happen, it was one of those times where we're like, boy, a lot of stuff was let go of during that time. So Romans twelve eighteen says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, we put up walls between us, and God says, I want you to tear those walls down. But the Bible says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He's not saying, hey, you're always going to live at peace with everyone. Because we know there are certain people in our lives that don't want that. They absolutely don't want peace. For whatever reason, there's bitterness inside them and then they don't want to let go of that. But the Bible says, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do whatever you can do to make sure that you're living at peace see Christ died to bring peace he died to bring peace between us and God and between us and a fellow man so when we think about that I got a picture that I want us to, to look at and it's basically just a triangle and I use this with premarital counseling a lot of times is that you, we've got us on one side we've got that person that we're thinking of on the other side whoever that is and we say you know, we're, we, can, we can say that this is the person that we're having trouble forgiving or th- this is a person that we want to spend the rest of our life with or whatever the case is. Whatever that relationship is, we've got them on that side, us on this side. And a lot of times we think about getting, if we're going to get closer to each other, we kind of do it this way. We kind of come in and we say, okay, now we're closer to each other. But the problem with that is, there's a person up on the top, and that's God. And God says, I want you to getting closer to me. And so if we, we, we change that and we say, I'm gonna start working on getting closer to God. And this person says, I'm gonna start working on getting closer to God. We end up getting closer to each other in the way that God intended. It's not going this way, it's going this way. And as we get closer to God, as each person gets closer to God, you're getting closer to each other in the way that it was supposed to be. We can do it down here and we leave God out of it and you really don't have a real strong relationship. But if you go this way, your relationships get stronger as you go up. So I just wanna encourage us to think about whatever relationship you're in, if it's like you're thinking about getting married or if it's it's in a marriage already or whatever friendship, if one person is moving closer to God and the other one isn't, you're you're gonna have trouble. But if you're both moving toward God, that's when that relationship gets stronger. And that's what God has called us to. He's called us to peace with each other. John MacArthur shares a story about Germans and Americans fighting in World War II. They're at a farm, and they're, they're, they're at battle, and they're, they're shooting across this field at each other. And they're just going at it, just killing each other. Well, the family on this farm went and hid in a barn and they're hiding in the barn, and a three-year-old girl from that family broke loose, ran out, and ran into the field as the Germans were shooting across and the Americans were shooting across the field. For a split second, everyone stopped shooting. They waited for this three-year-old girl to be rescued and taken back out of that field and brought back into the barn. That little girl brought peace for a moment in a crazy war. And it was just for a moment. Christ wants to bring peace that lasts for a lifetime. He wants to bring permanent peace. That's gonna, that's gonna cause us to live together in harmony. But that can only happen if we end up saying, I wanna move closer to God. God, I wanna be closer to you. Cause as I'm doing that, we're gonna get closer to each other. We hear a lot of people talking in the world today about peace. They want peace in the world. Peace in our country, between races, between political parties, etc. But most times, the world is trying to do that without God. We want to bring peace, but we want to leave God out of it. That absolutely will not work. We know that from Scripture. That Jesus is the one who can truly bring, bring peace. And if we're not willing to listen to him, then we're going to be in trouble. We're not going to know what real peace is. Romans 5, 8-10 says but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us since we have now been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him for if while we were enemies God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life that God said while we were still spitting at God, while we were still going every, doing everything in our life to go against what God wants, God said, I sent my son to die for you. He didn't send his son to die for us after we got our act together, after we, we decided, man, I've messed up, i got to change things. He sent his son in the middle of the, fa- of the time that his people were, were going after him and, and just mocking him and just disobeying him. God didn't wait for us to get our act together to come to him. See, so we, we've got reconciliation between us and God. We've got reconciliation between us and each other. And the third thing is that reconciliation almost always involves forgiveness. Reconciliation almost always involves forgiveness between two people. For the, for the story of my, my folks, I had to go through a time of figuring out how I was going to forgive my father for what he had done to our family. And I wish I could tell you that it's so easy that I read the Bible and the Bible says forgive and I just forgave. And, and everything was, was great, but that's not the case. And I can remember many times that I would sit there and say, all right, God, I forgive him. I forgive my father for what he did, but I didn't really forgive him. It was an outward show, but there was no inward action to that. And one of my life verses, if you know me now, is from First Samuel 16, verse 7. And it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, God's looking at our heart. And when I went to try to say I was going to forgive my father, I was making an outward profession, but I wasn't doing anything with my heart. There was nothing inside that was real about that. I just said the words, but I didn't really mean it. And I tell you, I, I did that numerous times. I did that for years. Right, sit there and say, "I forgive him. I forgive him," but I never truly did until the one point where I realized this wasn't just destroying my relationship with my father; it was destroying my relationship with my wife. And I and I realized the struggle that was going on that I had to fix. And so I remember sitting in the closet one night on the phone with my father, just crying, and just saying, "Dad, I gotta forgive you." It didn't matter whether he admitted he did anything wrong; that wasn't the point. The point was I had to be willing in my heart to say I forgive him for what he had done. And when I came to that point, that's when a relief came. But I'll tell you, it was 20 plus years of living with this bitterness and anger. And when I finally got to that point of saying, I, I admit, I've, I have to have this be a heart issue. It can't be just a, a head issue where I just say it. And that's when that's when it became real. Colossians 3, 11 through 15 says, here there is no Jew or, or Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in, in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, if you want to know what it takes to truly forgive somebody, listen to these next words. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, If we're truly going to forgive someone, we have to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And what brings that all together is that we have to have love. We have to truly understand what love is. Now understand this, forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. A lot of people say, oh just forgive and forget. And some people can do that. Some people are blessed enough to be able to do that. Other people, that's not the case. Forgiveness doesn't mean you weren't hurt. It doesn't mean that you were not hurt in that circumstance. It doesn't mean that you condone what happened. It doesn't relieve the, the offended, offender of their responsibility. It doesn't take them off the hook if there's anything they're responsible for. But that's between them and God. God. What it does do is it relieves you of that bitterness and anger. It takes you off the hook of holding on to that. And I know for myself, I dealt with ulcers and I dealt with other things, physical things that came out of that because I was unwilling to let go of that. So forgiveness isn't just saying, I'm just going to forget it and move on. But forgiveness is saying, I'm going to let go of it and let God take care of it and give it to him. So we ask, why do we forgive? Why should I forgive? You don't know what they did to me. This is what the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Why do we forgive? Because we've been forgiven. When you truly understand that, when you truly understand that we've been separated from God, we had that wall separated that Christ tore that down and we can go into direct access to God if we understand what Christ did on the cross and we accept what he did and say, I can't do anything on my own. I can't do anything on my own to be right with God. But God came and he made it right through Christ. And when we understand that, we understand all that we've been forgiven, everything that we've ever done that goes against what God wants, that he, he made that right through Christ. And when we truly grasp that, And we get that in our hearts. That's when we understand why we need to forgive. Because we've been forgiven so much. So as we close up here, I want us to think about the fact that forgiveness takes one person. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two. Remember, we go back to the verse where it says, As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you. That's reconciliation. Living at peace is reconciliation. Forgiveness is I'm going to be willing to do that. It has nothing to do with that other person, how they respond, how they react. I just have to be willing to forgive them. That takes one person. Reconciliation takes two parties coming together. So forgiveness is on us to say I have to do this. Reconciliation is I need to pursue this and try to do this. But it's going to take two parties to do that. So as we go throughout this week, I really want to encourage you to think about those walls that maybe you've built up. Maybe you've built up these walls between you and God. And encourage you to tear those walls down and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I don't deserve to be in your presence. But because of what Jesus did, I can be. And it's only because of what he did. And start to tear that wall down maybe you're building up walls around your life with with other people. I encourage you to start tearing those walls down, brick by brick. Just have those walls fall down so that God can truly work in your life. Because he wants those relationships restored, if at all possible. But that starts with forgiveness, which is your responsibility. And then reconciliation, which is going to be two people's responsibility. So let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Lord, you came and you tore down that wall. You ripped that veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies, from your presence. And you made it so that we could be right in your presence. I pray for every person that's listening here today. You would help them to truly understand how much you love them And as I think about the relationships around them, Lord, if there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness that's been building up in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you just reveal that to us and help us to start to work on that. And as much as it depends on us, Lord, help us to live at peace with everyone and ultimately with you. In Jesus' name, amen.